Thanks, babe. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you guys? Okay, let's do that. <laughs> All right, shake it off, shake it off. Okay, good morning. Okay, that was microscopically better, but <laughs> good morning. Well, today we're going to be talking about friendships. And uh, what do your bulletins say, the front of your bulletins? You got it. Shout it out. Okay. So now notice that is active, right? It doesn't say just sit around and wait for God to drop people into your lap, right? Um, <laughs> I'm just going to try and be funny, but it's not going to work. So um, we're going to talk about friendship and the importance of friendship and why we need to choose friends. You know, I think in our society, we have this misconception maybe, and I know that we're not all idiots and we're not like, I have 500 Facebook friends. That means I have 500 close buddies and friends. I know that you guys are not that obtuse and stupid, and I'm not either. But um, as I've been preparing and reading for this message and studying, there's all kinds of research, for real, that says that our conception of intimacy and friendship has shifted in ways that we're not even maybe um, cognitively, cognitively aware of. It's just been this subtle shift. And so what's happening is our idea of friendship and what community is has changed. And so, you know, when we get on Twitter, and let me just say this, I'm not bagging on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. My husband and I are some of the biggest junkies. We're always on there looking at stuff. <laughs> but what's happened, though, is that our idea of, of friends and, and, and who we share our life with has expanded. We think, oh, I'm sharing my life with all these people. They're involved. I've got this community of friends. But it's, at, it's literally rewiring the grooves in our brain and how we process. We think that's community. And so the level of intimacy and one-on-one -on -one where we sit across from somebody and look in their eyes and say, how was your day? Pretty crappy? Yeah, mine too. I get it. Or, hey, I had a great day. I got a, a great job review. Those incidents are diminishing because we mistake the likes, the 400 likes or the 100 likes or whatever, or the, the hearts on Instagram as being, oh, that's community. That's me sitting across the table from somebody and, and having fellowship or having friendship. And that, that's, that's okay, but that's not where it's at. So we are going to dive into why is friendship important? And I'm not talking about the kind of friendship where you like, I love you. No, I love you more. No, I love you. I'm talking about meaty friendship that God talks about in the Bible. Okay, so in case you guys are like, I'm, ch I'm tapping out. So the chick, this is a chick flick sermon. No, this is not. <laughs> all right, what I'd like to do, though, um, and, and so first of all, you know, we're, we're doing this whole series about wisdom, right? Pastor Josh is doing this series on wisdom. And how does wisdom and friendship intertwine? Well, here's the deal. Wisdom is, is knowledge applied to life, right? And then we have the spiritual component on it. And it's how does God want me to live my life? What does that look like? And that's what we're going to talk about. What I want us to do is uh, look at Genesis 2. Can we get that 2.18 up on the screen? Sorry, I have all my stuff. I'm such a nerd when I study. I just have tons of, tons of junk. I was going to say something else, but I filtered myself. <laughs> I just get so involved and I study something. We could, be, we could seriously be here for three hours. 
because that, that's just how much stuff. But you guys want to stay for three hours? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Sylvia does. All right, Sylvia, you and me, man. You and me. Okay. So in chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, uh, this is the creation account, right? God, God's talking about how he creates man and woman. And um, prior to this, though, the actual creation, God's like, it is good, it is good, right? God's like, I created fish, it is good. I created the, the birds, it is good, right? It is good, it is good. And in Hebrew poetry, we don't quite get this because I wouldn't have studied this unless I had to, but it's this progression of it is good. It, it's this like rhythm. It's like it is good, it is good, it is good. And then it gets to Adam being alone. Is it good? It is not good. And you're like, it's like a, it's like a giant cliffhanger. It's like, um, I, don't know, I don't know, some TV show, and you're like, The Last Ship. How many of you guys like to watch The Last Ship, right? No? Okay. All right. Uh, right. Mako, party of one. All right. It's, it would be the equivalent of the it is good, it is good, is not good. It's like if you're watching, okay, Game of Thrones, right? Some of you guys, you don't have to raise your hands, but I know some of you are into the Game of Thrones, and it's like, you're like, oh, my gosh, on the edge of your seat. And then it's like, all of a sudden, they end it at a cliffhanger, and you're like, Oh, I have to wait till next week. What happened? Oh, okay. That's the idea in the Hebrew here. Okay. God's like, it is good. This is good. This is great. Man by himself, not good. You're like, oh, what's going to happen next? I need to know. I need to know. Well, so let's, can we get that? Oh, where's the screen? Oh, it's behind me now. Oh, sorry. I'm tripping. I'm like, why don't they get it up on the screens? Because the screens aren't there. Mommy needs more coffee. Sorry. Okay. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Okay. Now, here's what I want us to get. When we read this, we think, okay, this is God's argument for marriage, right? And, you know, man needs a woman, woman needs a man, right? But I think we can extrapolate that and tease it out a little bit. And still be faithful to the text. Because what I think God is saying too is, I didn't make man to be alone. Or woman to be alone. I made humanity to be part of community. An intimate community. I don't think this was just like everybody needs to get married and shack up and have kids and procreate and have the white picket fence. I think the meaning in this is deeper. God's like, I called you into community because guess what? The Godhead has community. And I made you in my image. You therefore also need community. And see, when we don't live in community, things happen. Things fall apart on the inside. I was, as I was prepping for this, I was reading this study in 1951. Man, I, met, I read all kinds of jacked up stuff about what happens when people are put into solitary confinement, POWs, prisoners, okay? There's all kinds of horrible stuff that happens. Um, so uh, this one study I was reading about was in 1951 at McGill University. And these kinds of, they can't really do, they did studies on monkeys, and I'm not even going to go into the monkey study because it, it'll, it'll mess you up. Like I was reading it, I was like, oh, I got to stop. This is jacked. Like, isolating just these monkeys messed them up. They did horrible things to their babies that they had. It was awful. Okay, but so there's this one study that was done in 1951 where they asked graduate male students, they said, if we pay you, will you guys live in isolation, these isolation cells? 
and they wanted they paid them originally for six weeks they said you may come out to use the restroom but you're going to be blindfolded you're going to have headphones on and you can't talk to anybody so they had no it was supposed to be six weeks okay and they get food that gets slid under the door that's it these are graduate students that volunteered for this by the way okay at the end of seven days they all broke they were sobbing hysterically they were rocking themselves in fetal positions they were hallucinating some of them were crying uncontrollably they were jacked up <laughs> they only lasted seven days okay so here's my point I know that's extreme and I know you're like well I'm not in a solitary confinement but here's the deal God has called us to live in community and when that is broken down for just seven days we get broke on the inside do you get that God's like I made you to be in community and not just like hey how you doing good to see ya okay yeah like like I like 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 yes I heart right isn't it on was it Twitter Instagram it's heart you heart something if you like it right so this is part of living wisely and we're gonna be talking about how do we pick wise friends what is what having a smart friendship look like because you can go up to anybody and just be like hey uh, you want to be like have you ever watched little kids when they first it's I think it's called parallel play right when they st first start coming out of parallel play right and like preschool and then they're little they just play next to each other they don't really like they don't really like communicate or talk but they'll just like play cars next to each other and then they start getting older and figuring out oh I can actually go up to somebody I, I when Sophie was little I'd watch her because it was always very awkward hey you want to be friends you want to be my friend just random people in the playground or whatever hey you want to be my friend it's like that desire is innate in children because most of the time when I take Sophia to the playground and be like, I don't want to talk to any other parents. I don't want to talk. I don't want to communicate. I just, I want to sit here, drink my coffee, and watch my kid play. <laughs> but she'd always come up to somebody and be like, hey, you want to play? Want to be my friend? Want to be my friend? It's like it's, 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 it's God made us with that stamp for community. And you watch little kids, and I'm just blown away because it's like, you don't have to, you know, little kids, they won't do what they're told a lot of the time. <laughs> but you can't push them into stuff that they don't want to do. But when it comes to friends, they're just, they'll just step out and they'll be like, hey, want to be friends? Want to play? I don't know you. And this is awkward. This is the first time we've met on the playground. My sand crashed in your sand and it, it's meant to be. But it's like even at a, at a little age, it, is, it, is, it comes out what God has put into us. All right. There's this quote from this nerdy theologian. I'm not going to even tell you who it is. But he says, the most and the best will not be produced in us if we are alone if we are independent we remove ourselves from the circumstances that will produce the most toward his purpose and I really believe uh, I've seen this in my own life and the lives of others that have chosen not to be in fellowship and community we wither and we die when we're not in fellowship and community bless you Teresa and I'm, I'm not talking we don't always have to have Bible studies and be super intentional we can just sit down with each other and have a cup of coffee and be like, how was your day? My day was kind of crappy. How was your day? Or whatever, you know? All right, so I've got four main points. I'm going to try and get th through these quickly. Um, about w 
what does it look like? What are the parameters for choosing smart friends, for having smart friendships, for having not smart friendships, but wise friendships? They're going to help nurture us and push us into being the people that God's called us to be. All right. So the first scripture is Proverbs 18:24. And most of these are pulled from uh, Proverbs because it's the book of wisdom, right? The book of wisdom. All right. Um, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Okay, that's the NIV. I want to read you, I forgot what version this is. It might be the revised standard version. Okay, but I like how this, how this phrases it better. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Here's the idea. And you see this especially with teenagers, right? Junior high kids. They're just like, they want to be friends with everybody. And you, you just like, and even with my daughter right now who is, she's a smart kid, right? And we try and guide her. But she's picked some bad friends at school. <laughs> and we've been trying to coach her through it. She's had this friend since kindergarten. And it's just, it's been nothing but tears. We're like, Sophia, you can't just, you can't give your heart because they've become best friends. They were best friends. And I said, you can't give your heart to somebody like that. You need to choose more wisely. Is this person acting nicely? And I think here's the deal. I think a lot of, time as, a lot of times as adults, we do that too. We're not as choosy and picky as we should be. And I'm not saying that we're snobs and we have a checklist. But that we are... Functioning with wisdom and discretion and saying this person might look the part, might look good, but this person's a train wreck on the inside. I'm a train wreck. I need to not be friends with another train wreck because I, I got my own junk in the trunk to deal with, right? And so we have to be choosy, not snobby, but choosy and, and smart about who we decide to walk with on an intimate level. And it's okay if you become friends with your barista or whatever. Lord knows I know all the baristas. <laughs> 50 mile radius of Claremont. But just being smart about who we share, who we are. You know, when, when we talk to our kids about dating, we're like, especially girls, guard your heart, right? Guard your heart. Well, I think the same can apply for friendships. And that's not, gonna, that's not to say that we're going to be friends with people that aren't going to hurt us because that's human nature, right? That's the ups and the downs. But if you choose wisely, you can weather junk together. If you are smart about how to choose your friends, and if you pick somebody that's, that's, that's got character, and I think you can be friends with people that aren't Christians, but I'll be honest with you, my deepest relationships are with people who are Christ followers, just putting that out there because I, you know, they're there. If, if they're a non-Christian and they're, and I'm going through calamity, they might just be like, you need to meditate more. <laughs> you need to meditate more. I'm like, uh, no, I need to pray more. Like your worldviews are completely different when it comes to handling the big stuff. So you need to be careful who you align yourself with. All right. And then of course, you know, with the online thing, let me just read this to you real quick. This is from this, uh, woman named uh, Dr. Green. Let's see, what's her name? 
No, her last name is Green. All right, anyways, she is a UCLA psychologist and director of the Children's Digital Media Center at LA. And she says, the whole idea behind intimacy of self-disclosure. Self so this whole idea that we get online, right? And we put all this kinds of stuff like, Johnny took his first two steps, or I just enjoyed flan for the first time as a 43-year-old woman. Oh my gosh, right? Like, we post all these things online, and we were like, we're like, hey, look at me. This is what I am. This is who I am. And we, what we do is we create this false sense of intimacy. And I have done this before, too, where you just spend hours. You get sucked in. You're like, oh, my gosh, this person in high school just got divorced for the seventh time. What the heck? Oh, my. You just get sucked in, right? But this woman has said that our idea and how we view intimacy has shifted it is no longer, intimacy is not, not measured anymore in face-to-face -face interaction. It's how many likes can you garner? How many people comment on your picture on Instagram? And like I said, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, not saying to do away with it. I'm saying to be cautious and to be wise. All right, so let me ask you this. Here's a little challenge here. What is the ratio of time that you spend online? Maybe just, you know, people say, your picture or your new shoes are really cute or that's a cool new car you got whatever how many how how much time do you spend online compared to how much time do you spend in face-to-face -face interaction throughout the week you don't have to answer that online but that's something I want you to be thinking of how much time are you investing online and how much time are you investing sitting across the table from friends dialoguing even if it's for 15 minutes 20 minutes during the week all right, number two, <coughs> Proverbs 13.20. We are to befriend people who are wiser than ourselves. And that sounds really snobby, but let me tell you this. I have benefited from having friends that all my friends are a lot wiser than I am, <laughs> and they're my age. <laughs> I think when we have people that we can trust with our hearts that know us intimately, they're able to give us a perspective that we wouldn't otherwise have. And that's where the wise part comes in. Let's read this verse. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Okay, I just, I just had to do this for kicks. But there's a video that proves that if you walk with stupid people, you will get hurt. Can we roll that video?
But here's the deal. <laughs> if you, you don't choose, if you walk with unwise people, you will get hurt. <laughs> there, there, there's no and, ifs, or buts. And in Proverbs 13, 20 here, the idea in the Hebrew is he that walks, you know, this walking with a wise. It's like the idea is there's a wellspring of health that's going to come up if you walk with wise people. And if you don't walk with wise people, you walk with fools, there's going to be the fowler's net or this giant obstacle course, and you're going to get smashed. You know, in, um, <laughs> in college, I had some dumb friends. <laughs> and I did lots of dumb things. Like, dumb things. Like, I think about it now, it makes me want to vomit. Because I did really dumb things. Like, just, we went rock climbing, and we went rock climbing intoxicated. And it was a 100-pitch climb. So it was, a, it, was a, it was a single pitch climb, so it was 100 feet. And one of the guys that I was climbing with was so drunk, when we got up to the top, there was a little ledge. It was like a ledge about two feet, and you're supposed to stand there, clip in, and do the other pitch. It was a two-pitch climb, actually. Well, he was so drunk, and I was so drunk, we forgot to bring some of our gear up. He's like, oh, I totally forgot another carabiner. I got to go back down so we can clip in for the second pitch. And we were both so out of it, and all of our other friends were out of it, too. That... I was standing on the ledge, and I was just, I was, I was drunk on this ledge, 100 feet up. And it took him so long to get back down and to climb back up, because he was drunk as well. And I just thank God that God's grace covered me. Because <laughs> that was one of the stupidest things I've ever done. But here's my point. You know, and these people were all, they all got good grades in school, so they were technically smart people right? They were on the dean's list, president's honor roll, had gotten to college on scholarships. So on paper, they looked smart, but in real life, they were stupid. They were not wise. And I thought, oh, that's okay. I'm going to hang out with them anyways. It was fun, right? But I look back on it now, and I thank God that his grace covered me and that his grace covered my stupidity. And so here's, you know, I didn't, when I was hanging out with them, I wasn't the one changing them. They were the ones changing me. Do you get that? Sometimes I think, we think, oh, you know, I'm going to take you on as a project, you know, people that we meet that aren't too smart. And we're like, I'm going to change you. I'm going to bring you up. But there's this thing that's like emotional gravity, right? Psychological gravity. We get pulled down. Rarely do we pull people up. And I'm not saying that, obviously, dumb people, unwise people need Jesus too. But we are not to become involved with them as intimate friends because that will pull us down quicker than we can blink. And before you know it, we're like, oh, I'm standing on a ledge 100 feet up, drunk out of my gourd. My climbing partner is also drunk out of his gourd. How, what happened? How did I get here? So choose wisely, your friends.
All right. Okay, so let me ask you this. Are you in relationship with smart people? Maybe they get good grades, they have great jobs, they have nice cars, they're doing well for themselves, but are they wise people? Are they godly people? Ask yourself that. All right, number three is Proverbs 27.6. This one's always rough. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. How many of you guys have seen Mean Girls, the movie? Okay. That's just, I think that's just a, such a classic, you know, the frenemies, right? The frenemies. It's a combination of friends and enemies, right? People that act like they like you. They come up and they're like, oh, it's so good to see you. Oh. And, you know, and, the, and they're giving you kisses. They're like sticking a knife in your back, right? Or as soon as you turn your back, they're just talking all kinds of junk about you, right? Well, I have some friends, so I went through this, and I told you guys about this. I have this group of college friends, college girlfriends. Man, you guys, I did, <laughs> here's the deal. I'm not making an excuse, but I'm just saying, I grew up, my mom was a single mom, and so she was very staunch about, we're Christians, we're going to act a certain way. I, I, could, I could only listen to Christian music. I couldn't even listen to, like, easy listening stations. And uh, so it was very repressive in a sense. My mom was trying to make us toe the line. So when I got to college, I was like, forget this. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm not going to be a goody-goody anymore. And I just exploded all over the place. And, and you guys, so when I talk about God's grace, I'm, I'm talking about God's grace. I know it firsthand. God, God was gracious to me. And so here's the deal. When I was doing all my stupid stuff, you know, I think I shared with you guys, um, one of my ex-boyfriends after college was a coke addict. <laughs> and I was like, man, it, he was a smart guy. He was a smart guy. He was being groomed for vice president at the company that we worked for. So once again, on paper, he looked like he had his stuff together, right? He'd gone to school at UCLA. Smart guy. It looked like he's smart. Good guy. Oh, but he was a coke addict. <laughs> and so... I was dating this guy, and I was like, I think I really love him. And my girlfriends were great. Because what they could have done is they could have offloaded me and been like, when you get your head on straight and you figure out which end is up, you get, get in touch with us. They stuck with me through all my stupidness. They didn't condone it at all. But they were constantly, they were wounding me in a good way. They're like, Mako, what are you doing? Why are you wasting your time with this guy? They'd always call me on my junk. Always. Yes, it strained our relationships. But you know what? I kept coming back to them because I knew, I think deep down, they were speaking truth and wise words. And so I listened to that and I, I, I kept coming back for, for the good stabs. The stab's in the front, not in the back. You know, other people I talked to, more superficial friends, were like, oh, that's great. You guys should totally move in together. Da, da, da. And so being like, he's a coke addict. What are you doing? You love Jesus. He doesn't. What are you doing? Who are you serving when you do this? 
My girlfriends did that, though. They're like, Mako, come on. Wake the heck up. What are you doing? Think about this. Where is this going to take you? And they'd always call me on my stuff. Always. <laughs> and I think, too, think about this, too. Judas, when he betrayed Jesus, how did he do it? With kisses. He's like, oh, Rabbi, so good to see you. So I want you to think about what friends do you have in your life that can speak truth into your life, even if it's an awkward conversation. Awkward seems to be the name of the game for me and my life and my friends. <laughs> but you know what? Think about this. It takes more guts and more courage and more emotional investment to have a friend say, you know what? I love you enough to speak the truth into your life and to say what you're doing is stupid. Wake up. What are you doing? And you know what? A lot of times God uses the friends that we have, the good friends, the friends that we trust, because sometimes what happens is we get like a little nick or a scratch, right? Like in real life. And then we don't clean it. We don't take care of it. And it festers and it becomes pussy and inflamed, right? And so what do we do? We just keep ignoring it. We keep putting a Band-Aid on it, maybe Neosporin. But what needs to happen is it needs to get lanced, cleaned out, packed with cotton sometimes. That's painful and it hurts. But I think God uses good friends like that. Because good friends can kind of get in there and cut stuff up and clean it out for us. Or at least they can cut it open. And God can get in there and the Holy Spirit can just be like, I'm going to clean this junk out. I'm going to use Holy Spirit antiseptic. So let me ask you, here's, here's, the, here's the thing I want you to think about. Do you have friends that only are kissy-kissy? Or do you have friends that are willing to stab you in the heart? while they're looking you in the eyes because they love you. All right. Okay, Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. What I really want to focus on is that <clears throat> a friend loves at all times. Cicero said, you know, Cicero is this old Greek guy. He said, misfortune is the touchstone of friendship. And basically that means we find out who our true friends are. Like, family's got to stick with you kind of, right? Like, they, you just, you have the same blood. And if they don't help you out, it's kind of like, you know, all, come on, you're supposed to. But a friend, a friend is under no obligation to stick with you during muck and mire, right? They could tap out and be like, I'm out. This is, I'm getting dirty. You got to deal with your stuff. See ya. Um, Galatians 6, 2 says, share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. God calls us to walk with each other in the muck. We are to bear one another's burdens. Yes, it's inconvenient. Yes, it gets messy. Yes, sometimes the ick gets on us. And it's not always neat and tidy. But God commands us to bear one another's burdens and to walk with one another through stuff. 
Um, you know, a couple months ago in January or December, we found out that my mom had uh, terminal breast cancer. And the first couple of months, she's still alive. She, she did treatment, and then she opted to stop treatment. So she's in hospice right now. The first couple of months were just, just gnarly, gut-wrenching, horrible. And um, it was always awkward for me because people be like, how you doing? And I'm like, well, how, what am I supposed to say? Like, my, I just found out my mom's dying. She's in lots of pain. It's going to be just, just a crappy, horrible death. Like, you know, and then having to explain it to my child. My sister has to explain it to her boys. And so <clears throat> I was at a conference with my partner in crime for conferences, Sasha Puri. Sasha, raise your hand. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, there you go. And uh, we were just sitting there at this conference, and then we just started talking. And five minutes turned into 10 minutes, into 20 minutes, into half an hour, into 40 minutes. And Sasha was so gracious. We sat there bawling, snot talking about my mom. Snot coming out of our noses. Our eyes are just red. We've got snot everywhere. It was not pretty. It was very messy. But Sasha was willing to go there with me. She helped to bear my burden. We need to make sure that we have friends like that. What kind of friendships are you investing in? All right, may I have the band come up, please, and the ushers? There's this rabbinical proverb that says, a man without friends is like a left hand without the right. God made us, you guys, he made us to live in community and not shallow community, like community that can sit on chairs and just bawl. It's not coming out of your nose. Your eyes just beat red. God made us to bear one another's burdens. And so I challenge you. Let me read this to you real quick. Can we get Ecclesiastes up? Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says, Two people are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. We'll stop there. If you were to fall today, metaphorically in your life, beside your significant other or your spouse, who's going to be there to help pick you up? I encourage you, if you don't have a community of friends, get that. Pursue that. Make that a priority in your life. Let's do some worship. There's nothing worth more that could ever come close. Nothing can compare your living home. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves 
when my heart becomes free and my shame is undone your presence Lord Holy Spirit Holy Spirit you are welcome here come plant this place and fill the your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. Your presence, Lord, is nothing worth more.
you to be in community and check this out Jesus said he is our friend not just our Lord but our friend Come on. so if you're like I don't have friends I don't like people or I don't know where to start start with Jesus Jesus loves you he died for you he wants to be your best friend go out of here knowing that you have a best friend in Jesus Someone who loved you so passionately, so deeply. When you didn't love him, when you didn't care about him, he said, I will give my life for you because I love you. Go with that hope. 